Hi, food people. I'm Amanda Shapiro, and Thanksgiving is now three days away. We're doing a special two-part episode. And first, I'm going to talk to associate food editor Rachel Gurjar about what to do if you maybe haven't thought as much about Thanksgiving as you should have and have to figure out a dish or maybe an entire menu on the fly. You know who you are. Then Don Davis, our editor-in-chief, will take over to talk to the one, the only, the iconic Stanley Tucci, all about his Thanksgiving traditions, also his travels through Italy, and all the pasta wisdom he gathered along the way. Okay, so our Thanksgiving episode last week had tons of recipe ideas from Kendra and Chris, but let's say you were not quite on the ball, you had a busy week, now Thanksgiving is almost here, and maybe you still don't have a turkey. Or you need to come up with a side dish to bring to your uncle's, friends, whoever's house. Or maybe you just reject this idea that Thanksgiving needs to be planned four weeks in advance. It's really just dinner after all. So for all of you last-minute planners and non-planners, Rachel Gurjar has your back. In this week's Thanksgiving newsletter, she walked us through several Thanksgiving-worthy recipes that can all be made in 30 to 45 minutes or less, and with minimal prep required. Rachel, I'm very happy to have you back on the podcast because I definitely fall into this non-planner category. Welcome to the other side. (laughs) Here we are. This is a safe space. (laughs) It is. Okay, so by the time this is airing, we will be three days out from Thanksgiving. What are your plans this year? Are you hosting? I am hosting. When you are the cook slash somebody who works in food in your family, I think you're just expected to host. People are like, what time do you want us over? Exactly. I'm like, wait, what? How many people will be at your dinner? I would say somewhere between 10 to 13. We'll see. Oh my God. (laughs) If I had that many people coming, I think the anxiety would just keep me up at night and I would have to plan. Like, I just don't even know how you're doing this. It's going to be okay. It's totally going to be okay. I remember when we were talking about, we did a Thanksgiving newsletter series this month. You really jumped at the idea of doing a letter for the procrastinators. Is that because you would call yourself a procrastinator? So no, but this year and specifically this month, I just have a lot going on. I have big travel plans coming up early December I have to buy gifts early for my family back in India. So Mm. I'm very spread thin, which is why I was like, you know what? The procrastinator's menu is going to be my go-to. I really, really need to do something that's quick and fast and easy and delicious and really is not going to take a lot of prep. Yeah. And one thing I love about your recipes is you could totally do them as a menu, but if you're looking for a quick dish to make or bring to kind of round out your table. If you think you're missing something or you're worried about running out of food, any one of these could fit the bill. So let's dive into the recipes. We'll start with before the dinner, we have the appetizers. Let's say you're invited to a potluck Thanksgiving and need to figure out something lightning fast to bring. What would you suggest? These marinated peppers with basil and garlic. Mm, Tell me more. So simple. So they basically use five ingredients. You just do a combination of bell peppers, red, yellow, or you could even add green if you wanted to. I feel like the green one's a little bit more punchy, but in this recipe, you know, there's yellow Mm -hmm. and orange and red, so they're much more sweeter. 
Mm. You broil these peppers on a baking sheet pan for about five to seven minutes until they're nice and charred. Mm. And then you let them cool for about 20. And then when they're cool enough to handle, you peel off and discard all the skins. And then you you don't even have to cut. You just tear the peppers apart and discard the seeds. <laughs> I'm just imagining like a frenzy of like a person totally panicking, just tearing yeah, these peppers it's apart. Go time. And I mean, you know, I love charred bits, so you could leave some of the charred skin in if you wanted a little bit more of the smoky element. And then you just toss them with some olive oil, some basil, garlic, and salt. And you kind of let the peppers hang out in their own juices and this delicious, simple marinade. And that's it. And uh, yeah, uh, grab a baguette, slice it up at the party and uh, make a beautiful platter in no effort. It's so easy. And it really is five ingredients. And literally three of those ingredients are salt, olive oil and garlic. Yes. And if you wanted to just take it one step further, you know, get a block of feta or cream cheese or some like any soft, creamy, salty cheese, spread it on a plate and then throw the peppers on top. Oh my God. So there you have it. Okay. So another category that I think of as good for procrastinators is salad because you pretty much have to make your salad day of anyway. So if you're looking for a quick salad option, what would you recommend? I mean, this crunchy greens salad with ranch dressing is delicious. I mean, you had me at ranch. (laughs) It has shallots, some garlic, you know, a little bit of jalapeno for a kick, dill, tahini, lime juice, some rice vinegar, and some bread and butter pickles. So it is really the perfect combination of sweet, salty, pickly, tangy, like you have it all. This seems like a salad that can really hold its own against a lot of other strong flavors on the table and not just end up sad and wilted and forgotten. Absolutely. And I think that's what happens with a lot of salads, especially on like a holiday table, kind of as an afterthought. But with this one, it really starts you off on a great note because it's so fresh. It's so vibrant. You're setting yourself up for a lot of success with this. It's also literally a two-step recipe. Yes. Step one (laughs) is put all of the dressing ingredients in a blender and blend it. And then the second step is put it on the greens you're done. You're done. You're basically done. I mean, and I know this is a procrastinator's menu, but if you woke up and this dressing was the first thing you made and it's just hanging out in your fridge, the salad is going to come together even more quickly. And we call for romaine, baby bok choy, watercress, and a cup of chopped herbs for the actual greens. But I mean, give me permission to kind of use whatever I have on hand in terms of greens. Absolutely. But I do recommend one thing. If you're using a combination, try to play with some textures and flavor. Because if you use, say, spinach and you use a Boston lettuce, then it's all soft leaves. Yeah. You want some crunch to the salad. That's when it's going to do justice to that delicious dressing. All right. So let's say, here's another scenario. Let's say you forgot to get the turkey. Or maybe your dinner plans kind of come together at the last minute and you just don't want to deal with it. What is your turkey alt? Good old chicken. There we go. And you know, the other poultry. <laughs> the other poultry. But because you don't have to spend like more money buying a huge turkey, I think really go for a good brand of whole chicken. Maybe it's pasture raised, maybe it's organic. It doesn't have to be. But if I'm not 
spending money somewhere else. I'm like, okay, then I can like treat myself a little bit here. And if I have access to this, why not? Yeah. Get like a special chicken from the farmer's market. A special chicken. I love it. (laughs) And for this recipe, it's again, very simple. It is beer and orange marinated roast chicken. Oh my God. I love a beer marinated chicken. I've actually never attempted it. I've never done it myself. I love the idea of it and I love the taste of it. It's delicious. This also has some Aleppo pepper and some sumac. So you're really getting not really heat from the Aleppo pepper, but it's a little bit of sweet, smoky spice. And then the sumac is so tangy and delicious. Mm. It really brings in all those Thanksgiving flavors together, but just with a slight edge. Yeah. And what kind of beer do you use? I would use a lager. Something lighter? Something lighter. I mean, I feel like an IPA would be too bitter for this. (laughs) And what makes this faster than a normal roast chicken recipe? You don't need to let it sit overnight if you don't want to. No, you don't have to let this sit overnight. The idea of letting it hang out in the beer marinade for a little bit is just so that the chicken kind of soaks in all of those beer flavors. Mm-hmm. Even if you start in the afternoon by like four, you'll be fine because the chicken's not going to take that long to cook. Yeah, it's 475 degrees, about 35 to 40 minutes for a three and a half to four pound chicken. So that's a quick roast. It's a quick roast. It's going to be crunchy. It's going to have those charred bits. And it's going to fill your house (laughs) with that warm, roasty, poultry smell, even if it's not turkey. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to dessert. This is another one where I think a lot of people freak out because their host or whoever says like, oh, just why don't you just bring a pie? And it's like, someone has said that to me before. And I'm like, that is not like a light lift. Like that's not like, oh, just bring a pie because now I feel the pressure to make the pie crust. Do I go pumpkin? Do I go apple? What's your last minute dessert move? I feel like if somebody asks you to bring a pie, but you go with an upside down cake, I think it still looks like you put in a lot of effort. I mean, this cake, I love Cheryl Day. Her recipes are amazing. Oh, so amazing. Okay, so tell us about this particular upside-down cake. So this recipe is a little bit more involved where you do have to make the caramel first because that's going to go to the bottom of the pan. And then you put the sliced pineapples on top and then it's a simple cake batter that you whip up in a stand mixer and then you pour the cake batter on top of the pineapple slices. And as it bakes, all of the caramel seeps into the pineapple and also into the spongy cake. Also, you don't have to wait for it to cool because there's no frosting. The frosting is built into the caramel pineapple upside down stuff. So once you invert it, it's ready to go. And we actually recommend serving it warm or at room temperature. So you could even throw it in the oven as people are eating, and then it's ready for you for dessert. Absolutely. I would even add a scoop of vanilla bean ice cream to this. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) 100%. Okay, Rachel, this menu actually seems incredibly doable as a whole or in its individual parts. Is there any other advice you have for people who might be a little nervous right now because they don't think they have it all together? (laughs) I would say delegate. If you feel like, hey, I can't make the marinated peppers. If you were to tell one of your guests, can you make this? They would be down because 
the marinated peppers take less than 20 minutes. So don't forget to delegate. And even on the day of, take all the help you can get. Yes. And if you really don't know what to do, just buy a couple extra bottles of wine and it's all going to be fine. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. These sound like great options and best of luck with your very large and epic sounding Thanksgiving. I really am so impressed. (laughs) Let's see. Fingers crossed. (laughs) So if you're listening to this while racing to the grocery store or staring at recipes, stressing out, wondering if you should just call the whole thing off, just know you got this. It's going to be great. Check out Rachel's newsletter and it'll all be fine. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, it's going to be Dawn and Stanley Tucci talking all about Stanley's Thanksgiving and why pasta deserves a seat at the table. Thank you for joining me on Food People, Stanley. So Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Talk to me about what Thanksgiving looks like in the Tucci household. You know, the Tucci way, as it were. The Tucci way, which is traditionally American. So turkey, stuffing, usually my mom's recipe, which is water chestnuts and sort of bread, almost like croutons. And then homemade cranberry sauce, sweet potatoes, Do you glaze the sweet potatoes? Yeah, I just put them in the oven with butter, honey, and brown sugar, and a little bit of maple syrup. Nice. It's all really simple stuff. Brussels sprouts, definitely. Brussels sprouts with pancetta. That's really good. And a little bit of parmigiana in there. So this is absolutely not American at all. But stuff like that, yeah. And then I hear that you're a fan of the turkey the next day and that it's competitive in the Tucci household. (laughs) Yeah, who's going to get the rest of that turkey, yeah. So describe to me a turkey sandwich. Open face, do you put the leftover Brussels sprouts on top? How do you do that? No, I just like the turkey with maybe mashed potatoes on the side, if there's some left, and then the cranberry sauce on the side, and then just the turkey on a piece of bread, open-faced sandwich with the gravy on top. That sounds delicious. And so at Thanksgiving, is there a place at the table for pasta or you want to stick to tradition? No, no. There, There's sort of, as far as I'm concerned, there's always a place at the table for pasta. Whenever we would have it at my mom's house, there usually was a pasta to begin with. What kind? Well, maybe she would just make something simple like a Fiorentina salsa, which is basically like a bolognese but without meat. Or sometimes she would do a lasagna bolognese, and that was really delicious. Sometimes you just knew you had so much food that you didn't really need the pasta, which sounds sad, really. Sounds sacrilege. Sacrilege. But we also had a lot of appetizers, too. So there'd be prosciutto, there'd be cheeses, there'd be... Salami, there'd be olives, there'd be roasted peppers, there might be a seafood salad, like a ceviche or something like that. So you had all that, and then you dove into Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, it's funny that you talk about bouillonnaise, because in the book, Taste, My Life Through Food, which is spectacular, and which came out in October this year, you talk about bouillonnaise and how that pasta term is overused. Well, I think that there is a confusion. People will say bolognese, but there are so many different iterations of bolognese sauce. And when I was doing this TV show for CNN, we went to Emilia-Romagna, which is the region in which Bologna sits, 
and is its uh, capital, and the original version of what I suppose would be called a bolognese sauce is a really, really simple one, and there's no tomato in it. It's only veal and pieces of pork, like salt pork, like a bacon almost, and a little bit of milk, a little bit of nutmeg, a little bit of flour, carrot, onion, celery, and butter. And that's it, and it cooks super fast. I mean, that bolognese where I cooked with the woman and she made that so simply, she cooked the bolognese in like 10 minutes or something like that. And I was like, oh my God, this is a real revelation to me. The interesting thing was she didn't do what you'd normally do, which is put in the pieces of pork, almost like lardons, right? Right. She cooked down the mirepoix and then she just went, threw it all in with the ground veal, salt, butter, stirred up, a little bit of milk, a little bit of veal broth, and some nutmeg, and that was it. And it cooked literally in 10 minutes. That sounds delicious. So the bolognese that we know now has a lot of tomato in it. It's slow cooked. It's cooked for a very long time. It can be beef and veal. It can be beef, pork and veal. Some people put milk in it. Some people put cream in it. Some people put... <laughs> So there's so many different versions of it that we don't even really know what it is. But when you go to Bologna... Yes. That's where you're going to discover the most truthful iterations of a bolognese. You have very specific and a lot of passion about certain pasta with different sauces. So what are three pairings that you just absolutely cannot? And have you, you would just walk out of someone's house if they served it? Well, I wouldn't walk out of their house, but it would be a little more polite than that. You'd be a little judgmental. Yeah, I would be definitely judgmental, certainly once I got out the door. So spaghetti with bolognese, no. No, 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 and no, no. No. It should be a fresh tagliatelle or pappardelle even, or a short pasta like rigatoni or something like that. Mm. But really, with bolognese, you really just want a fresh egg pasta. It just works beautifully. It clings the right way. It does all the right stuff. Orichetti, mm. pesto, was nice mm. with pesto. I mean, pesto is interesting because you can almost have it with anything. You can have it with spaghetti. You can have it with... It sort of just works with everything in a, in a weird way. Mm. Not really mm. big, thick pastas, though. You don't want pesto. Mm. I prefer spaghetti to linguine because I think it holds the emulsified sauce better. You can also make it sometimes with little tubetti or ditali, which are like just tiny little tubes with clams and maybe pepperoncino or something like that. And it's absolutely delicious and almost like a broth. I've never tried that. I always make it with linguine. Yeah. And please please don't judge me, but I do always no, no, no. make... <laughs> no. Every time I make it with linguine, I go, why did I make it with linguine? I really wanted to make it with spaghetti. Yeah. Well, there you go. I have to give Bon Appetit a shout out. A great pasta I just made a couple nights ago called Fridge Dive Pasta. Mm -hmm. And the idea is you put whatever greens you have in the pasta... But you use ricotta salada instead. Oh. And some sesame seeds, actually, interestingly enough. And well, that's it is... interesting. What do, you, what do you just sort of steam or cook down the greens a little bit? Exactly. And then emulsify them. Oh, oh wow, yeah. With some red onion, actually. Oh, nice. Oh, that could be really good. Yeah. yeah. It's delicious. It sounds very Sicilian, really. I'm sure it has its origins in Sicily. I was supposed to go to Sicily in June 2020, but obviously COVID took care of that. And I did live vicariously through your show and it actually will help me reshape the itinerary. Oh, good, good. So, <laughs> I want to 
talk to you about another ingredient that I know you have a lot of passion for, and that's corn on the cob. There are these great scenes in your book where you're eating delicious ears of corn, and I love the way you talk about your favorite way to eat it. Tell us about it. Well, when my family would have corn, and we'd have it in August when it was really great. New York State corn is, like, delicious at that time of year. You take it, you boil it just for six minutes or something like that, and then you put butter on a piece of Italian bread. Usually it was my grandmother's homemade bread, which was delicious. Mm. Then you'd butter the corn with the buttered bread, and then you would salt it. And then what you have is this piece of buttered bread now tastes like the corn and the salt. Mm. It was just the most delicious thing in the world. That sounds delicious. That almost was like the best part of the meal. And that was just a summer Sunday or a summer family gathering. Yeah, we did it all the time. Yeah, on the, on the weekends, yeah. And at home, my mother, we would get corn as often as possible. And then my mother and I would eat the cold corn, leftover corn on the cob for breakfast. Oh, yummy. So delicious. You also talk about corn being a grain of importance in Italian culture. And I think most of us think of wheat for pasta, but less so corn being an essential Italian grain. Mm. So is there polenta at the Thanksgiving table? Is there a lot of polenta in Stanley Tucci's life? There's polenta in my life, but not at the Thanksgiving table. I love polenta. Polenta is so wonderful because like pasta, you can match it with so many different things. I mean, you can just make a really simple marinara sauce and just combine the polenta and marinara and maybe put a little parmigiana or pecorino on. It's delicious and maybe a salad on the side, mm. but also just to saute some mushrooms and combine them with the polenta sausage, basically polenta and anything. It's just incredible. After you cook it, you can sort of let it get cold and then you can slice it and fry it. You can also make polenta chips with it. It's just mm. incredibly versatile, but that's mostly what you're going to eat in Northern Italy, more than Southern Italy. It exists, but in Northern Italy, it's more of a staple. Yeah, I love the show for pointing out, of course, the regional differences, but it does in such detail show us how the culture, the food, the ingredients just really vary from region to region. Completely, because it's so diverse geographically. You know, you're going from the Alps down to 90 miles off the coast of Africa. Exactly. There's a big difference there in what you're going to grow, what you're able to grow, what you build your house out of what you wear, who your neighbors are, it's all. And what cultures touch that particular reason. Yeah. So we've talked about polenta, we've talked about pasta. I'm wondering about your mother's risotto milanese that you've described in your previous book, The Tucci Cookbook. Risotto can be hard to make, and she just gets the right amount of creaminess and unctuousness in it. You know, and a good risotto, when it's spread before you on a plate, and you should eat it off a plate and not in a bowl, because you're supposed to eat it from the outside in, because if it's spread out, it cools down evenly. If you put risotto in a bowl, it'll get mushy on the bottom because all the rice is sitting on top of itself. So if you spread it out and then you eat it from the outside in because the outside will be cooler sooner and then you just keep working your way in. Anyway, there's a little tip for you. If you... I never heard of that. Yeah. I wanna get back to Thanksgiving because it's in a few days. Let's talk about how you're setting up your table. Do you have a family tradition? Well, we always set it out very formally, for the most part. My dad always did this growing up in the holidays and special times. He'd always make little place cards. Yes. So I do that now. And I have a drawing that I did a few years ago of like a cornucopia. And I took that and scaled it down and then put it on little cards. And then if there's somebody new, then I make a card for them. And then we, everybody has their own name with a little... Thanksgiving kind of image. Oh, that's lovely. 
on it. But I love doing all that. I love, I love setting the table. So China and flowers and candles and the whole nine? China, flowers, candles, maybe some herbs scattered through the center of the table. Oh. After Thanksgiving, do you guys watch a movie? Do you go for a walk? Do you play games? Well, Thanksgiving was often at my Aunt Grace's house. So that's my mother's sister. She just passed away this year in her 90s. Good genes. Yes. It'd be a gathering of my mom's side of the family. And we would maybe play bocce ball or something. But if we did it at home, it depends. We might play a game or something, or my dad would strum his guitar and he'd sing songs. I certainly wouldn't sing any songs. But it's really just more about being together. What is a great hostess gift, in your opinion? A bottle of wine? I usually just do wine, I'll be honest. I'm not always so good about bringing little gifty things. Last night we went to a friend's house for dinner and I brought a bottle of red and a bottle of white. And because we hadn't seen them in their new house, we hadn't seen them for like two years because of the pandemic and they'd been traveling and we'd been traveling. I brought a bottle of olive oil too. Because I think there's a tradition, if I'm not mistaken, in Italy, you bring olive oil, salt and bread when somebody has a new home. Yeah. What about a cookbook as a welcome gift? You write any cookbook worth its weight will give three pastes to pair with a sauce. So tell us, with the holidays coming up, are there particular cookbooks that you recommend? Yeah, Science in the Kitchen and Art of Eating Well. I mean, I've always had this book, but for some reason I never really looked at it. And then, of course, once I started doing the show, I looked at it and went in to the Artuzzi Institute or, excuse me, museum and... Um, cooked with somebody there who taught me how to make the original bolognese recipe. And it's just fascinating. This book is incredible. It started out as 400 recipes and now there are 700 recipes. And it was written in the late 1800s. It kind of put Italian food on the map for Italians in a way. It united the cuisines of all the different regions. Well, that's a great one. And we'll include a link in the show notes for that book as well as your own. And I want to thank you for your book, now a New York Times bestseller, Taste My Life Through Food, and your show, Searching for Italy. Thank you. Well, I thought it was fantastic in showing how family and food are inseparable and how we really form most of our memories around the table. And I think that there are three ways people should watch Searching for Italy, by the way. Mm -hmm. I think you should watch it the first time with the volume up. Okay. The second time with the volume down, just to read your expressions as you eat food. (laughs) And the third time, if you want to try to remember what little Italian you used to know, you should watch it without any uh, subtitles. Without any subtitles, yes, that's right. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, sharing Italy with the world. Well, it's my pleasure. And and thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome at Bon Appetit anytime. (laughs) Thank you to Dawn for hosting our special guest, Stanley Tucci, on the show today. You can find Stanley's new book, Taste, My Life Through Food, at the link in our show notes and in bookstores everywhere. And you can watch the first season of his show, Searching for Italy, on CNN and HBO Max. Thanks also to Rachel Gurjar for joining me and giving us all the ways to save your Thanksgiving just in the nick of time. You can find all of Rachel's delicious recipes on bonappetit.com. And you can follow Stanley on Instagram by typing in his name, same with Rachel. And to read more about how Stanley does Thanksgiving, check out the link in our show notes or find it at bonappetit.com. If you love the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
It helps keep us food people employed. And you can follow Bon Appetit on Instagram at Bon Appetit Mag and on Twitter at Bon Appetit. Food People is produced by Bon Appetit in partnership with Pod People. Vishnu Vallabhaneni is our senior producer. Ginny Bloom is our showrunner. Madison Lusby is our production manager. And Morgan Foos and Jessica Jones are our associate producers. This episode was engineered by Trey Booty, and the music is by DJ Newmark. June Kim and I provide editorial direction for the series. Special thanks to Matt Sav, Nico Steele, and Julie Shen. I'm your host, Amanda Shapiro, and I'll see you next week. 